Hello, and welcome to the Mammal Podcast. I'm your host, David J.H. Wu, and today I interview Jerry Liu, co-founder and creator of Llama Index, formerly known as GPT Index, an interface that allows users to connect their personal data to large language models. Before we begin, I wanted to let our listeners in the medicine space know that this interview is a bit more technical than normal. Llama Index is an awesome tool that lets anyone connect their own data, whether it be PDFs or Excel files, to a large language model and do things like ask questions about it. We provide a high-level overview of the space and then talk about some of the nitty-gritty details of indexing one's data. There's a saying about how during a gold rush, you should invest in picks and shovels. Llama Index isn't a pick or a shovel, but I feel like it's going to be a very important tool in the future. If you're interested in learning more or finding a cool project, please join our Mammal Community Discord and follow us on Twitter at The Mammal Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Mammal Podcast. Uh, my guest today is Jerry Liu. He is the co-founder and creator of Llama Index, formerly known as GPT Index, an interface that allows users to connect their data to large language models. So my first question for you, Jerry, is a question that we ask all guests. Um, I was wondering, can you tell us about your path and how you came to start Llama Index? Yeah, um, first, yeah, thanks, David, for the opportunity to be on here. I'm, I'm super excited to, to come and talk a little bit more about Llama Index, uh, what it consists of, as well as the future vision. Uh, and so, yeah, so I would say my journey has uh, so far has basically been at the intersection of machine learning, engineering, and also uh, startups. And I can talk a little bit about how I kind of arrived at this idea. Um, and so maybe we could start there, actually. I started this project uh, about six months ago. Um, and, and at the time, you know, I didn't really have an intention of starting a company around this specific space. It was more just I was very interested in kind of exploring some of the developments of uh, large language models at the time. A lot of things were were taking off. You know, people were using uh, generative models like Sable Diffusion, Dolly, and also starting to explore like text models like um, GPT a little bit more deeply. And I was very interested in this space, and I wanted to just figure out how I could, you know, try to build an application using the GPT three API. There was a four thousand token context window, uh, and it seemed like GPT three was pretty good at reasoning. And so I figured, oh, you know. What if I just try to feed it some data, uh, you know, from uh, at the time I was trying to build like a customer bot. So feed in some sales data from uh, of notes from our existing customers on my previous job and then, you know, build basically a basic question answering tool so that you could ask a question and then get back the results that you would want. And so, you know, at the time uh, I started hacking around on the API and started building some of the basic abstractions to, to look into this. And I thought, there's got to be like some kind of more principled ways of doing this because um, this, I basically had like stumbled upon this idea that a lot of researchers were thinking about called in context learning, which is you take this model itself and then you figure out how can I put stuff into this input window, which is 4,000 tokens or 4,000 words so that the language model can not only just like, you know, regurgitate information, but actually reason over this information that I feed it in order to you know solve the task at hand and so obviously the language model was not going to know anything about our company's like private customer data but if i could figure out how to feed this customer data into the language model in the right way then you know it could be able to reason over this uh, uh, new information and then give me back the results that i would want so that kind of inspired the initial iteration of uh, gpt index at the time uh, now it's called llama index 
And it really started off as a design project because this whole experience about dealing with private data got me thinking about this idea of, you know, what if we augmented language models with some sort of like external memory? And then what would that external mm. memory look like? And so again, it was a design project, uh, had this idea of like a tree-based index. It actually didn't work super well at the time, but a, tree, uh, a lot of tree people based index. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, the idea was to just like organize a bunch of information hierarchically uh, in, into some sort of like tree structure and then also okay. have the language model be able to like look up information through this structure in order to retrieve uh, okay. relevant aspects. So it was like kind of a design exercise in building some sort of like RAM or memory for uh, this language model, which, you know, by a computer-based analogy, you could think of it as like a CPU. Um, and so mm -hmm. the language model you can think of as like a reasoning engine with some like basic cache space in the input prompt. And then you want to figure out how do you actually feed the instructions and knowledge mm -hmm. to this input prompt so that it could both like traverse, you know, this, this, um, the, the like data landscape, uh, but also retrieve the right piece of information that you might mm -hmm. want. Mm -hmm. So again, uh, it was very much like, kind of like, uh, that's the general idea that I started with. Um, and it was, it was an interesting project. And I think a lot of people uh, were interested in understanding how it would, would work. As I started working on this a little bit more, it kind of became clear that I had stumbled upon a problem that a lot of users were thinking about because a lot of uh, developers that were starting to play around with language models for the first time were trying to think about ways that they could use it on top of their own data. Right. And so that, um, and, and like the, this data is just inherently stuff that the language model by default is not going to know about. And so I think as we were working on this project, um, we realized there really was an opportunity here to make this into a general toolkit that was accessible to the broader audience. And so that's what led us to make some of these decisions to basically turn this into something that was a design project and just into a general toolkit that a lot of users could extract value from. Um, and, you know, uh, obviously have been uh, very fortunate and, and, and lucky that, you know, there's been a huge growth in generative AI development in the past few months. And so, yeah, so uh, some great yeah, timing. Yeah, exactly. Very fortunate to be in the position that I am today. And, and there's, we've built like an awesome community. A lot of people are building uh, like data retrieval, search, and kind of general language model applications on top of Llama Index. Um, just a, uh, a general note on my background before this, you know, before this, I, I spent some time in both like startups and research and ML. So I spent two years leading the machine learning monitoring team at robust intelligence. Um, before this spent a few years in AI research as well at Uber. And then before that spent some time in machine learning engineering on recommendation systems at Quora. Uh, so I have a little bit of experience wow. in both like the research ML and also, uh, engineering sides of sides of things. Uh, and, and typically, you know, at smaller companies, you know, with the exception of uh, Uber. Just curious, what was, uh, this is kind of a silly question, but what was machine learning engineering or, or work like before large language models? Uh, what did your work look like before that? Yeah, so that's actually a good question. I could actually probably talk about this at, at length because, you know, there, there's uh, a, a lot of interesting uh, thoughts as to how language models like transform the, the current machine learning stack. Uh, and, you know, it might have applications to how you think about like AI for healthcare too. Um, mm -hmm. With like traditional machine learning, you know, and machine learning engineering, the focus really is on like the entire life cycle of data preparation, training, um, you know, uh, experimentation and then evaluation. And so you kind of like separate training and inference and there's like mm -hmm. separate ops like pipelines for each of these and i think you know 
the the idea is that before large language models, which uh, are are just way more general, you wanted to prepare a data set that you could train basically like a supervised machine learning model that could do like classification, it could do regression, yeah. it could do you know object detection over some existing data set that you feed it. And so you run into a lot of challenges. And one, you need to gather the data with some ground truth. Um, two is you want to be able to train this model on top of this data. And then three is you want to be able to experiment with this data and the four uh, or, or with this model. And the four is you want to be able to deploy this model to production. Mm -hmm. um, and so a lot of like my work, both, I guess, both in engineering, but also kind of like on the research side uh, was on like the, fo uh, the focus was on like being able to train these models and being able to do it well. I think the interesting thing is with large language models, um, these models are already pre-trained on large amounts of data and yeah. on its own, you, um, don't uh, technically need to change like a lot of stuff to get some value out of it. Uh, and so, you know, a lot of the paradigms that are emerging nowadays, uh, you know, and, and obviously there's like fine tuning and distillation, and there's still people trying to like train these models for their own purposes. But a lot of paradigms that are emerging these days is really on how can you take a pre-trained model and how can you take a pre-trained model and then just extract value from that? Like mm -hmm. if you just take GPT-4's API, uh, use it in inference mo only mode, how can you hook this up into some overall application pipeline and focus a little bit less on the training step? So I think that part's interesting because it's um, kind of like, it, it kind of necessitates uh, like changes in, in the things that you want to emphasize and bring like uh, features built on generative AI versus like traditional ML. Um, yeah. Like uh, necessitates like changes in how you think about the op stack, like the things that would actually bring these features into production. Um, but yeah, a lot of my background has been in the the kind of like traditional ML space. Can you say the the four steps again? The the traditional four steps starting yeah, with the like, data. Yeah, you know, there's there's like data preparation, right? Mm -hmm. And then there's like model training, and then there's uh, like just like experimentation, right? Just like the iteration process of, of this. Mm -hmm. uh, and then uh, four is like model deployment. Okay. And, and it's not just four steps. There's more steps I skipped. Like after you deploy the, the model, you want to make sure that you actually you know, observe and monitor the models to make sure mm -hmm. that's uh, still robust to like different types of drift, for instance, in your data that, you know, it's it, the test distribution reflects your training distribution and all those types of things. And so would you say with, you know, these new like out of the box generative uh, AI LLMs or, or just, I guess, generative AI in general, um, how, how do you think that paradigm has shifted? It's Yeah. That's a that's a good question. So, I think um, with generative AI models, um, if we buy that, you know, and this is something I'm not completely sure about, but if we buy that, people are going to be training models a little bit less, um, and uh, are more willing to just use these like pre-trained models out of the box, mm -hmm. then um, you're going to be spending uh, less time or basically zero time on model training. Um, you still oh, need wow. to prepare your data in some form for inference. But that's a little bit different than preparing like a training set. Um, where, so so you know, steps uh, two and three are just kind of, um, I, I guess steps two and three are where, I, I don't know, letting a... So, like, so that part's interesting, right? Um, so steps two, like model training, where you actually fit like a new model, uh, will go away. In terms mm -hmm. of experimentation, actually, um, the way to think about this is like, you know, nowadays there's like a lot of emphasis on like prompt experimentation. Um, and, <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah. like, uh, here's like a very interesting way of thinking about it, right? Like, what is a machine learning model? A machine learning model is something that takes in some input and then, uh, you know, um, as X, and then given the input and some parameters, gives you an output. 
that param those parameters, uh, you know, in traditional machine learning is like the the weights of the model basically. Yep, yep. Uh, now with a pre-trained model, um, what what exactly is the input and what is the output, right? You could think mm. of the input as the specific task that you want to solve, but this task could be you know part of some overall prompts, and those prompts uh, could actually be part of the parameters. Like I guess there's kind of like a blur. Uh, between like you know what you feed in as input and what's actually the parameters of the model and so mm -hmm. you still want to actually experiment with like different types of parameters with the pre-trained models you're just like maybe not necessarily training the the model itself but you're experimenting with with prompts right you're you're yeah. basically trying to see like what words you want to tweak like you know how can you actually instruct like how you ask the question right? the best result yeah and so there's still a need for uh, there's definitely a need for being able to experiment and track um models and and you could even say it's like even more important or even more challenging than for instance like uh traditional machine learning just given the oh. nature of the complexity of the inputs and outputs like you're not just outputting like a single number you're not just outputting like a floating oh, point okay. number you're actually outputting something that's like an entire text right and you're also taking uh -huh. as input, like unstructured text too yeah um, and so like and and actually we can talk about that too like i think um there's differences from the traditional machine learning stack um, at least right now if you're building applications you typically don't need to like prepare data in the traditional way um, and you also don't need to like train the model you also don't really need to get like ground mm. truth labels for your data um, wow. that said you still do need to prepare your data in some way right uh, to use for uh, to use uh, with these models and that's kind of where llama index comes in and then mm. uh, you, you still need to have some emphasis on like you know, good experimentation, tracking, and also like observability and those types of things. Um, and, and so, uh, you know, like, especially as people are playing around with these language models and building applications, they're starting to realize the importance of actually properly like evaluating uh, the performance of these models and tracking how well they do over time. Yeah. And I guess that's, so from my understanding, Llama Index is, it's like connecting your external data to the large language model. So almost like the bridge between step one and step two, would you say, or? Yeah, so Llama Index is uh, connecting your external data to uh, language models. Um, it's not necessarily doing it in the sense of like traditional ML where you need to like prepare your data set as like a training data set with like uh, data uh, with like, uh, you know, input uh, and then a ground truth label. It's mm -hmm. just like being able to like format and structure your data in a way that you can use with the language model during inference time um and so mm. the model is already trained but just like how do you figure out how to feed this data it's almost kind of like itself. like like chewing it up digesting it and uh i guess yeah. giving uh yeah mm. that's one way that's one way of looking at it yeah and so like just as a very basic example uh for um say like uh, some of the listeners like it, you, imagine you just um you know, let's say you just have a PDF, right? Just any PDF of, of uh, that that's like 10 pages long of just text, right? Maybe there were some tables in there too. Mm -hmm. You take this PDF, uh, throw it in some PDF parser, extract some text. Nowadays, there's like a bunch of PDF parsers out there. Um, and then you just like uh, structure this text somehow. Like you you like uh, chunk it up, you chunk up the text, right? Into just these like text blocks. And then you store these pieces of text in some like data collection, right? Through a database or mm -hmm. in memory. And then now, um, you know, maybe you add like an embedding for each text and embedding is just like a vector of numbers and so, you basically annotate each text in some way. 
for the chunk of text, uh, I did read the documentation of Llama Index. Is is that the node or the different nodes, or or am I getting it wrong? Sorry. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, so you, you chunk, chunk of text. Mm -hmm. Yeah, within um, our framework, uh, we call it like a node, mm -hmm. uh, and and you know this this is just something that's becoming pretty popular these days. And and why do you want to have like chunks of text? It's because you want to have like just units of text that could fit into the input prompt window. And so, you mm -hmm. know, if you have a 10 page PDF document, that entire thing is not necessarily going to fit into like the input prompt window of GPT-4 because the input prompt window of GPT-4 is like 8,000 tokens for mm -hmm. chat GPT is 4,000 tokens. Um, and so if you chunk it up, then, you know, for each, each chunk would be able to fit into the, into that window pretty well. And when you chunk it up, or, and I guess, you know, for our listeners, like 4,000 tokens, that's a, uh... If you were to use just text, like that would be like a couple pages of words, right? Or yeah, it'd be like a few pages. Uh, it's actually pretty long. Um, I think uh, the four thousand tokens is around like three thousand words, and so how how many pages is three thousand words? Oh, yeah, that's I, like I six pages. Exactly. Yeah, that's around but six pages. Yeah, seven, yeah, yeah. So it, it it is pretty long. I think if you wanted to, you could actually get by. Um, by just like uh, for a lot of use cases on like small data, um, mm. you can just fit everything into the input prompt window and get get back a response. It's like having yeah, it just, open just its mouth everything. and just throwing yeah. everything into the. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like if you ever played around with ChatGPT, you could just feed in like your entire English essay, right, and, and then just ask yeah, it yeah. like questions about it. Um, the the downsides I think of of doing that are one, um, some degree of like latency and cost. Like if you mm -hmm. just naively always throw like maximize the prompt window, oh, yeah. uh, OpenAI charges per token. And so then every call is going to use up like the entire set of tokens. Um, the other part is um, like a lot of times you are just going to have more data than what data can fit into the prompt window. And mm -hmm. so um, like, you know, if you're dealing with like uh, a knowledge corpus, that's like gigabytes or terabytes big. How do you actually figure out how to like structure this in a way that you can actually use with the language model? Do you store the nodes like in a vector, like in a series of numbers, or yeah, like, yeah? I guess how do you store the nodes? Yeah, it's a good question. So um, this this is also just like kind of uh, uh, hopefully a high level introduction to yeah. some like basic stacks that are emerging. So um, one stack that's emerging that's pretty popular is you know the key question is how do you create um, and store all this private data that can be gigabytes big with uh, and use it with the language model. And so mm -hmm. if you have like mm -hmm. say gigabytes yep. of private data, you can take each document, uh, uh, convert it into text chunks and then add an embedding or a vector of numbers for each chunk and then mm -hmm. store it in this thing called like a vector database, right? And a vector mm -hmm. database is just one of those, like a database that um, specifically is able to store like a block of unstructured text plus like an embedding associated with it. Mm -hmm. and uh, let's say you have like a question, right? And and you basically want to look up the relevant pieces of text within this database that are relevant to the question. That's basically what vector databases are, are specialized for. Um, it would take in this input question, try to write an embedding for that question. Mm -hmm. And you can match like the embedding between the query and the set of documents that you store to look up the most relevant documents or, or sorry, most relevant chunks, basically relevant mm -hmm. to the query. Um, and once you actually query this vector database with the question, you'll be able to get back like the set of retrieved documents that, that, that are, are kind of close to it. Oh, okay. So, for is instance, it... if you ask a question about like, um, uh, like, uh, I'm just trying to think of an example, right? Like, if you ask a question about like hospitals, 
right? Yeah. And and let's say your your knowledge corpus is like all of Wikipedia, it'll be able to return you like maybe the set of documents that uh, correspond to hospitals. Right? This is and, kind of a, a silly example, but is it kind of like a skew numbers on barcodes? You know, like you kind of get the barcode and then it's like, okay, like if you buy soap, like I'm sure, like I think like the soap barcodes are kind of close to each other, maybe, or, or I, I don't know if I'm remembering that correctly, but. Oh, is that is that actually how that, um, so I'm actually not super familiar with barcodes, but yeah, if, if soap, like for soap, like the barcodes are all close to each other, then yeah, that's that's kind of one way of looking at it. Yeah. I actually, I, oh, actually maybe a, a better one would be like in the in the library when you have um, mm. books. Uh, I think like the, the Library of Congress, like mm. the way that they have um, the book, uh, I don't know if it's called barcodes or codes, but like they'll, they'll group it by um, category. Like all of the history books are under like the history section and all of the cooking yep. books are under cooking. And so maybe it's a little similar to that. Yeah. So um, I guess for, uh, for listeners, like if a vector, uh, an embedding is just like a vector of numbers, right? And, and so mm -hmm. like um, the closer two vectors and numbers are to each other and you can measure like distance via, you know, like, uh, Euclidean distance, like dot product, like cosine similarity, and, and a variety of other metrics, um, then that means that they're kind of like more semantically meaningful. And so, for instance, like apples and oranges probably <laughs> relatively similar because they're both in like a fruit category. Like doc medical stuff, uh, like you know, doctor, hospital, etc. Probably the embeddings are similar to each other too because they're also. I, I, I love when math come comes back like this. Like, yes. This is great. <laughs> this is beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so um, like uh, there, there's um, obviously embeddings have been around for for a while. Um, I think the the difference here is I think um, you know there's been a lot of uh, more sophisticated ways of generating embeddings. Like it used to be that you could generate an embedding for each word or every like you know small set of words, but now with something like OpenAI's endpoint or Co Cohere's endpoint or a lot of these like hugging face models, you could throw in like an entire paragraph and it'll give you an embedding. Right. And, and so the idea is that if you have like a, a question, just like a natural language question, um, and then you have a set of like relevant documents within your collection that uh, are semantically similar to this question, uh, you can like get an embedding for the question, get an embedding for all the documents, and then return the set of documents that are relevant to the question. So that's just step one, right? That that's like yeah. being able to retrieve the relevant documents to the question. And at that's this point, cool. like you might you haven't even used the language model yet. Um, so this is just like the basic stack that I'm describing. Yeah. Once you retrieve the set of relevant documents, uh, now you have the language model. You can basically tell the language model something like this, um, like, hey, you know, here's like a bunch of context, and then you yeah. throw in just the context itself as just like a bunch of raw text. Right. Uh, oh, you throw you, the you raw text. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. So, like, you retrieved a bunch of documents uh, from this knowledge corpus. Each document is just like text, right? It's like some some yeah. uh, paragraph or or a random piece of text. And then uh, for the when you actually send this to a language model, you could format the input prompt as as following: like, here's some context, and you throw in this context as raw text. Now, yep. given this context, here's a question, and then here's a question that you want to solve. Now, please answer the question. You send this entire thing to the language model. Hopefully, it fits within you know the four thousand token uh, limit. If it doesn't, there's like strategies for dealing with this too. But mm -hmm. um, you know, assuming it does, then it'll give you back the answer given this context that you put in. That's beautiful. What was so then? Wow. So that's that's step one would just be kind of like you have your data ready, or I guess mm -hmm. you know your PDF of hospital data. 
and then with llama index you would uh kind of chew it up i guess into, into yeah chew your, it up uh, into chunks and then, and then chunks. you could like store it and then you know like then basically when you ask a question you'll retrieve these chunks and then feed it to the language model and then you'll get back a, a answer and so go, actually going back to i think one of the first points about like data processing um it's kind of interesting on on one hand you could kind of think about data processing as being like especially at least to get something up and running you could think about the data processing part as being like trivially easy because uh you don't really need to format the PDF as well uh, at all. Like you don't yeah. need to like have some sophisticated parser that takes in this raw PDF text and really like strips out all the tags and new lines and write a bunch of code to format it. Uh, one of the beautiful things about language models uh, is the fact that they can just take in like pretty unclean data um, yeah. and, you know, with a bunch of stuff uh, in it, like raw HTML, web pages, like, you know, API documentation, stuff with a bunch of like bullet points uh, formatting. And then it can still understand semantically the content that you feed it. Um, and so on one level, you could say that data processing has gotten a lot easier with language models. Uh, and Llama Index is capitalizing on that because, you know, the default way of like structuring this data is not by some complicated parsing. It's just by like, you know, maybe splitting up the text uh, and, mm -hmm. and then mm -hmm. just like uh, storing this like uh, unstructured text somewhere. Um, I, I do think though that as users are starting to build more and more of these LLM-based applications, and they're thinking about like potentially um, more sophisticated like production-level use cases for like language models on top of their data, then you're starting to revisit this question of like data structuring. Like, what exactly are the best ways that we can store data that we want to use with language models? Is it really we just like uh, you know split up a bunch of text and and save that? Do we need to add like annotations? Do we need to define like relationships between this data in some other way? And so I think those are all areas that we are thinking about too, because we want to make this not only just like super easy to get off the ground and running, but we also want to make this useful in like a production setting. Yeah. And one of my big questions uh, I, I saw in your documentation, you said uh, there's this new, the new version of Llama Index recently came out. Congratulations. Um, and I saw there's three key abstractions. You said we've redesigned Llama Index around three key abstractions that more cleanly decouple state from compute. Um, the first being the index, which uh, I guess that it says here, it manages the state, abstracting away underlying storage and exposing a view over process data and associated metadata. So is that kind of like the chewed up part we're talking about? Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so if you think about like, the, the way we think about Llama index, um, it's uh, you start with like the data, which is like state. Mm -hmm. uh, and yep. part of Llama index is being able to store state. And so okay. there's the raw data itself. And then yep. there's these like indexes on top of the data. So that's uh, the first abstraction, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yep. So the indexes are the ways you can like chew up the data and, and process it in a way that you can use it with a language model. And then the second is the retriever, which here says here fetches the most relevant nodes from an index given a query uh and the final one is a query engine that synthesizes response given the query and retrieve nodes uh my big question i feel like maybe the, this is a secret sauce here correct me if i'm wrong but how does the retriever know which nodes to fetch uh given your question yeah so um the just as of at a very basic level um we have this concept of like a retriever, which um, is just like an abstract class in Python. And the interface it implements is 
uh, you feed in some query or like a, a natural language query. And the, the goal of the retriever is they give you back the relevant nodes from your knowledge corpus. Um, and again, the relevant nodes are just like the relevant documents from your knowledge corpus. And so, you know, we, we just talked about this, but just a very basic example of uh, what a retriever could consist of is really just um, using that like embedding based lookup approach that mm, we described. Mm, mm -hmm, so for yeah. instance, like um, getting an embedding of the query, using it to look up the relevant documents from like a vector database and fetching the most relevant documents. I think that's one example. Oh, using like the Euclidean, like which, like the minimal distance between the vector Yeah, like numbers. cosine similarity, Euclidean distance between the embedding of the query with the embedding of the document. Okay, that makes, that makes that sense. Use that to retrieve yeah. the most relevant documents. Um, mm -hmm. And then, you know, we, there's like other types of retrievers that you could do too. Uh, because this interface is so general, there's like a bunch of other retrievers that we we support. Um, and happy to talk about that as well. You can also do like retrievers on top of other retrievers. Uh, you could like arbitrarily define your own custom retrievers, but that's the yeah. main goal. Um, I think in the framework of like uh, this whole paradigm of like, how do you best like manage the interaction of like a language model with your data? Um, the retriever is a critical piece of this because yeah. um, really what's happening when you um, have this interaction is you have like a retriever model that's retrieving relevant documents from your data and then working with the language model to give you back the results. Mm. And I feel like we, uh, you know, we should start talking about the medicine part too, because th this has been fascinating to talk about because I feel like everyone has seen firsthand how powerful, or I'd say most people have seen how powerful uh, these large language models can be. And I'm sure a lot of people have wondered, oh, you know, if I could connect this to my, my health data, um, I could, you know, you could ask questions like, oh, you know, like given my recent like MRI report, like what does this, what does this mean? Or, you know, given my like blood pressure readings from like the past seven weeks, you know, can you give me a description of blah, 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 blah. Um, do you think mm -hmm. that this could be applied one day to a person's health data? Yeah. And I would be, uh, I'm, I'm almost certain like people and, and health tech companies are already doing this with language models and barring some uh, general concerns, which uh, about like, you know, HIPAA compliance, like privacy, like all, all these different things. But um, fundamentally, like, uh, like, like, there, there's just like a ton of data in, in, in healthcare, right? And a lot of that is stored in, in text. And, and so mm -hmm. for instance, like uh, patient history, uh, like, uh, like, I guess just like your entire like medicine textbook, like just being able to kind of like understand, um, like just ingest this entire corpus of medical knowledge to be able to like diagnose, uh, like a, a disease and, you know, like, uh, analyze symptoms, those types of things. Like, I, th I think those are all pretty natural use cases that could be, um, kind of like augmented with some of the power of these language models. And so if you think about just some of the core use cases that these language models solve, it's, um, uh, at a very basic level, they can help you like answer questions given some data. Um, yes. Two is uh, they can summarize stuff pretty well. Like yeah. if you give it like this giant amount of text, you know, mm. um, like if you feed it like an entire like corpus of data, they could like summarize it into a paragraph. Uh, and and just even on that level, there are probably just like a ton of applications to unlock. Oh, so many. Basically, yeah. um, I know like, our, our medical listeners, people in the medical field, like a lot of your job is like reading, at least for med students, you know, you have to read their past uh, notes and then you kind of have to like synthesize a, your own note with all the previous history notes. Um, mm -hmm. 
Like as you said, yeah, it's a summarization task. Yeah, and and so I would describe those as kind of like uh, relatively um, like more on like the simple side, like one shot type tasks where you like basically use the language model uh, over kind of like a more constrained data setting um, mm -hmm. to, you know, like do summarization to answer questions. And I could, I can imagine that would provide a lot of efficiency gains too. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I don't necessarily see this as like replacing uh, uh, doctors or like, you know, research assistants or anything like that, but I could see this like helping to provide a lot of like efficiency gains you know, maybe giving people themselves like a bit more visibility into their own like history and also like symptoms and and just being able to make a lot of this process like uh, more efficient. Um, and then I think there there's another level which is uh, you have all this uh, basic tasks over your data like question answering summarization. You can also extend beyond this into kind of like um, like agent style interactions that that mm. can like help do research and do repeated tasks for you. This part is very interesting. Um, just from a kind of like conceptual perspective, but I think there's also challenges in, in making it work well. Um, for instance, like imagine like a research assistant that can actually do iterative research for you, right? Like let's say you have a question, it can not only like do a one-step approach of looking up stuff within your knowledge corpus, it can also like search Google, it could break this question down into comp like sub-questions, like have a task list uh, similar to what you see with like AutoGPT, oh, yeah. those types yeah. of things. And then actually just repeatedly go through it until it's able to fulfill the task. Um, one really interesting project that we had from our contributors uh, from our community is actually a project that does exactly that. It's a medical research assistant that goes on like uh, like uh, like a few kind of like uh, popular sites, uh, oh, and then is able to like do perform like a, a task where you give given a query that you ask it. So that part's actually what? quite interesting. Yeah. What's the um, name? It's called a. It's called Insight, uh, and you could find oh it. Oh my on god! Discord. I gotta, you can find it on. I gotta on, take a look uh, at this on GitHub as well. Yeah, hundred percent. So I think like just that part is very interesting, but of course I think there's just a lot of uncertainty about those types of applications, and um, a lot of that uncertainty is regarding like the trust level too, uh, because like mm. agent style interactions inherently require repeated reasoning from the language model. Um, then they're also just by nature of this going to be a little bit more prone to making mistakes. Uh, and so, you know, there, then there's a question of how do you actually have like the human in the loop? How do you make sure it doesn't just like go off the rails? How do you like control the and refine the outputs a little bit? Mm. Wow. And I feel like I should ask, uh, I meant to ask this earlier. Um, there are probably other methods, uh, you, you know, there's llama index, but there's probably other methods of also uh, connecting external data to LLMs. I was wondering, um, you know, what are the pros and cons of the llama index method versus others? Um, yeah. You could yeah, I think that. nowadays you can get a lot of the basic uh, stack that we described uh, through a variety of frameworks, for instance, like us, uh, Langtrain, or you could just like spin it up yourself. Um, and the basic stack is you just have a vector database, like a, a Pinecone, Chroma, Milvis, you know, Weave8, and then you uh, take in a bunch of documents, store it in the vector database, do like the top K embedding search from the database, and then, you know, take the documents and, and put it into the input prompt and send it to the language model. So that's like just a very basic stack of, uh, it's called like retrieval augmented generation mm -hmm. um, that, mm -hmm. that's like popping up. And there's a variety of frameworks that help you do that. Um, I think for us, though, we are really trying to like generalize this into uh, some a framework that really solves a lot of different use cases around like retrieval and synthesis. And so I think, 
you know, we we want to integrate with like outer application frameworks or agent-like abstractions, like a ChatGPT plugin, uh, or if you're like a lane trained agent, um, if your ChatGPT can like use us as a plugin or a tool. Um, but I think we want to just like be very focused on solving this problem of retrieval and synthesis and making mm. that really good. And so just really thinking about what exactly are the challenges in managing, structuring your data, uh, indexing your data, and then being able to query that data so that you're able to get back the best results uh, that you can over your data. That's cool. I feel like, you know, of the whole um, workflow that you're talking about, um, you know, steps like the old steps being one, two, three, four, uh, it seems like you guys are covering really well of connecting that your external data to LLMs. And it seems like you're working a lot with Langchain. You have a good, pretty good partnership with them or? Um, I think uh, we're, we're like technically a separate projects, um, uh -huh. but I, you know, we do integrate pretty well with Langchain. So if you use us, like it's pretty easy to integrate with uh, the rest of your Langchain workflow um, and we provide a lot of tutorials on how to do that. Because to me, and you know, for some of our listeners, I, I'm also just like learning what Langchain is. But it, to me, it seems like it's a wrapper around LLMs that kind of lets you manipulate LLMs and use them more easily. Is that is that true, or would would you yeah, say? Yeah. So uh, Langchain is a great framework. They they have a lot of different building blocks around like a variety of different things. Um, I think from like the LLM wrappers to embedding abstractions to um, some basic stuff around like you know uh, data like uh, indexing retrieval and and evaluation um so they, they they touch on a little bit of everything and we kind of wow. integrate with line train where it makes sense and so we're basically just like the uh kind of like uh, we want to be one of the main modules around like data retrieval and synthesis and yeah. so that's uh, the part that we uh, are and then we make it really easy to integrate with like the rest of the workflow if you're using like a lane train lm abstraction if you're using like a lane train you know uh, agent to use us as like a tool. And then if you are using some of their evaluation modules too. And so th this is all, uh, for instance, like, um, like we kind of, um, we, we, like a lot of people are using Langtrain to build different types of applications. And we mm -hmm. just want to be like one of the core modules in this ecosystem. And so yeah. just like in general, there's like a lot of developer energy around this. And so we're super this excited. This seems to be so cool. You know, it see it really seems like there's a, a gold rush. Or, I don't know. People love to use like speaking superlatives and say it's a Cambrian explosion or a gold rush. And you know, there's that quote about during a gold rush, you want to sell shovels. Um, to me, like Llama mm -hmm. Index seems like a uh, it's almost kind of like a tool that anyone can use. Um, you know, that allows you to connect your own personal data to the LLM. So uh, mm -hmm. it's not a shovel, but maybe more like a like a, a hinge or a, you know, like a like a I don't know. You know what I mean? Like a spigot yeah, or something. <laughs> for sure. I, I think, um, you know, this actually gets into the next part of this um, 0.6.0 release that we put out last week. But I think um, along those lines of uh, selling picks and shovels, we want to sell like a, or not sell, you know, this is free. It's open source. Yeah. So everybody can use, but like we, we want to have like a high level API that makes it super easy for basically anybody, even if you're not super like uh, technical to just like get up and running uh, on, on top of your data and about like four lines of code. Uh, wow. And so that like, you don't really need to customize at all. You just like throw it in some, something and uh, over your data, and then you can get something up and running very easily. Um, oh, I'm excited time, for that. Like, yeah, uh, so I would use if, that <laughs> if you want to. You should you should check that part out. It's in the quick start as well. Okay, um, but we also want to make it really easy for you to customize. So if you do want to, uh, are like a more advanced developer with like certain needs uh, that you want to tweak, uh, you want to like set different parameters and settings 
you could totally do that too with llama index and we kind of like uh make it so that it's similar to like an onion you can like peel back layers and and uh, add your mm -hmm. own stuff if you want uh and so that's one of the beautiful things about some of our uh, redesign wow um what work in the ai and llm space excites you the most yeah, uh, a lot of things these days. Or it's just um, generative yeah. AI, sorry, just, in, in, just yeah. in general, AI, yeah. I think in general, um, there's like the generative AI piece. I think I'm very excited about, um, well, I'm very excited about like multimodality. Uh, I oh, think it's, yeah. it's just a very interesting thing, a uh, way of understanding um, what the future stack is going to be like, if you could like translate text to images, to audio, you know, what are the implications for how you want to store different types of data? Um, how do you just like, you know, basically unify all the different modalities of data, uh, in a way that you could like just easily convert between them. Nowadays, mm. people are already building basic, uh, it's pretty easy already to build bots where you could like convert audio or even images to text and then like reconvert it back into audio or text. And Whoa. so like the, the, uh, that part I'm just very excited about. If you saw like the GPT-4 demo, it's like uh, multimodal. Uh, I haven't- Oh, like, like the picture to the website? To yet. But yeah, you could like take a picture and you could like, you know, be able to caption that. So that part is interesting. Um, I think the agent stuff is is quite interesting too. Uh, and I think there's still a lot of opportunity in thinking about how much automation we can extract from the reasoning behavior of GPT uh, by just having these agent abstractions as these like automated decision makers over anything right whether it's mm. data whether it's like call an yeah. api to do stuff um and i'm excited to see where that goes uh and then i think in the overall ai space yeah i mean i, I think if i just had to like throw something out there like i think um like physical robots i mean i, I used to work in self-driving uh, mm -hmm. i think i think just like you know uh, self-driving is not all like l5 quite yet right uh, because there, there's still a lot of complexity oh, yeah, but yeah. right now everything we're talking about is in the digital space i think translating this into the physical world uh, is going to be really interesting have you seen those deep mind robots recently? The ones that like play soccer and get up after you push them over? Oh yeah. I, I think, yeah. I mean, I, I think there's a, there's like Boston dynamics, right. And, and um, like a few others. Yeah. On this those are, I, it's just scary to think that we're already close to the, an, an iRobot era where, you know, you just put an LLM into a robot and then it can move around and maybe you give it agents that allow it to like, you know interact yeah with that'd be interesting too. and it, that'd definitely be very interesting Ooh, and also probably scary. Scary, but yeah do you ever get do you ever feel um you know doom and gloom or scared or you know kind of uh oh yeah. the opposite of excited um that's a good question um i think i think there's certainly cause for concern um i i do think because like the project that we're focused on is kind of on a more limited use case, it's really about like un unlocking insights from your data. Um, so that I, part, I feel like it's huge though. You know, I, I guess no, no, it's, no, limited, no, it's but... like it's not like that part itself is not gonna like burn down the world, right? So 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 I think because I, I, I agree, but at that, the same time, it's almost like once every once anyone can yeah. connect their data to the LLM or the genie in the lamp, you know, it's kind of like everyone. Is connected to it. You, you know what I mean? Like on a, in a big picture, I feel I feel like it's massive. Um, yeah, I, th I think so. I mean, it could certainly be a component of this overall system that ends up going haywire, right? And so I think uh, there's definitely some uh, cause for concern uh, there. Um, I, <laughs> That's funny. I, I think in general, I'm pretty excited about about the feature, though. Yeah. Oh yeah. man, <laughs> that's a funny thought. That if, if everything went haywire. Uh, you know, maybe Llama Index didn't did play a small role. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> That's I also meant to ask, what is the story behind the name uh, Llama Index? Oh, yeah. Um, I'm glad you asked. So, like, we uh, had this name called GPT Index. Um, at the time, we figured we were going to probably change the name at some point, just because, I mean, it turns out it was a good move. Like, OpenAI, you know, yeah, now has this coming after guy, We can't use GPT as, like, a prefix. Uh, okay. We also were thinking of, like, coming up with other stuff in an ecosystem. And so, like, for instance, like, Llama Index to, like, other stuff. Like, we have Llama Hub and we have, like, Llama Lab as well. Mm. Um, so we want a good prefix. Uh, so we were thinking about animals. <laughs> and keep in mind, this is, like, a week before, like, uh, like Meta slash Facebook came out with their model. Oh, and so oh yeah, we yeah, thought yeah. about like two different animals. There were hippos and there were llamas. And we ended up selling on llamas. And then, you know, the week later, uh, Meta comes out with their model, which is literally just called yeah. llama. Uh, and so that's either like unlucky timing or it's like fortunate in the it's sense that it just gives us free publicity. But, you know, either way, it, like it is what it is. As you know, the, the mammal podcast, our mascot is also the llama. <laughs> Oh, cool. Yeah. A lot yeah. of people like llamas. Apparently. So. And I guess, well, you know, the llama, you can spell LLM using llama, but exactly. um, yeah, it's kind of funny. I, I like, because we started the podcast in 2020 and I remember thinking about the name and it, it was just because like originally we wanted it to be like learning about machine learning and medicine. And then there's a lot of L's and M's and llama was what we came up with. But yeah, it's kind of funny seeing like, there's a lot of different like llama sense. energy in the ai and llm space yeah exactly uh clearly everybody's thinking about the same animal so <laughs> oh man um this is one of our closing questions that we ask every guest uh mm -hmm. what do you think the future of ai and medicine will look like in 10 to 20 years yeah i, I do think um i'm pretty bullish on this idea of like just automation and, and democratizing access to uh, like um healthcare i guess and and so i think like i i do think uh in an ideal world like a lot of this technology of just like kind of you know um language models being able to connect your data really easily being able to ask questions get insights from that data will just like be able to get people like a base level of kind of like information access that they weren't able to access before and um just because you know uh barring any kind of like regulatory or kind of like uh, other concerns uh, like privacy concerns over your data i think language models can actually do a lot of that really well and even if you just took the technology today and just like stopped advancing gpt4 i'm sure you could do like a ton of stuff over just like you know uh like medical history like helping yeah. people like understand uh you know like uh, I mean, isn't that what sam and... altman said he's like oh the era of large language models is over like gpt4 is we were you know like they're not like bigger is not better at this point or something yeah and and so i think i think there's just like a huge opportunity here to just like you know completely just have everybody like be way more aware of healthcare in a way that's like mm -hmm. super easy to access and then you know I, I again i don't think like doctors are going away I, I feel like there's a lot of value in some sort of like human connection but i think like there's um just just like uh uh like just like a kind of like reprioritization of focus so that you know, like we, we can have like medical experts uh, focus on some of the more advanced areas, but at the same time, have everybody be able to have like a base level understanding of what's going on. And uh, last question is, what advice would you give to uh, grad students, medical students, just say like early, early career professionals, uh, people who are, you know, excited about AI, uh, what, what advice would you give to them? Um, 
I don't know if I'm the best person to ask for this question, but uh, I think uh, why not? You, uh, well, because I don't know. I I honestly like um won't be able to give any like medical advice. But I think like I uh, for like the AI stuff, I would probably just like try to stay on uh, top of these trends. Like just yeah, understand ChatGPT. Like try try uh, try playing around with some of these applications. Like you know, use Llama Index, use LangTrain. Like build some of these apps on top of this data. I do think this is going to be the future. It's going to be something that like permeates a lot of different aspects yeah. of tech technology. And I do think it's like um, for pretty much everybody having some some of that level of technical proficiency to understand what's going on will probably just like give you a step up and and helping to you know really adapt uh, AI to this uh, the medical field. Well, thank you so much, Sherry. It was such a pleasure to have you on the show today. Uh, I'm really excited about Llama Index. I'm I'm gonna try the new. What were you saying? There's like just a couple lines of code. The uh, mm -hmm. what's the? Is it just a zero point six point two or or what? Yeah, the zero the the latest release. Uh, we've always had this high level API, and uh, it's the same with the latest latest release too. You can get up and running in around four lines of code. What's it called? Um, uh, well, the the latest release version is like the zero dot six release. Mm -hmm. uh, the the API you said? Yeah, the high level API. Okay, okay, got it. I'll right, take a look at that right after. Yeah. And thank you so much. Well, awesome. Thank you, Dave, for having me.